of, um, of hope. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's also read Isaiah 56. It's not too far away from Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 56 really talks about um, salvation for foreigners. And specifically, it talks about salvation for eunuchs. It talks about that eunuchs will get an everlasting name that will, that will not be cut off, which is really appropriate language given the situation. So he's still reading the Bible, but it isn't alive in him until Philip arrives, points the scripture to Jesus, and receiving the gospel, suddenly his whole life changes. It's an amazing testimony of the power of the gospel. And really, this is my one, I've got two points, but this is really my one point, is that when the gospel is spoken, people are saved. And we see this time and time again in Acts, when the gospel is spoken and people are saved. And it's people from all backgrounds and all cultures. In Acts, we see Samaritans, we see Pharisees, we see Romans, and now an Ethiopian get to know Jesus. It's evident that the Spirit of God desires racial barriers to be overcome, sending Philip, a Jew, who didn't mix with foreigners, let alone people that are sexually altered, to go and preach the gospel. He needed an angel and the Holy Spirit to prompt him to get there, but he was obedient to serve. They just wouldn't normally hang out. It also shows that the gospel doesn't belong to just one culture more than another. When the Ethiopian received the gospel word, he would continue on his journey home. He didn't stick alongside Philip. Philip was gone, trying to figure out how he lives and copying that. But instead, taking the gospel, he headed back to where he was from. And today is no different. Today, it is often taught in universities that religion is a function of culture in order to keep people together like a glue. But Christianity cannot be like that. You could make that argument for other major religions where the majority is close to where they started. We still see 96% of Muslims live in the Middle East or in surrounding Africa and South Asia. We see 97% of Hindus, they live in effectively three countries in India and Southeast Asia. 86% of Buddhists in East Asia, but Christians are far more widespread. It's unlike any other religion. Being the largest religion in the world, with about 32% said to be Christian, the split as of 2012, according to Pew Research Centre, says that 26% are over in Europe, 24% are down in Latin America and the Caribbean, 24% are in sub-Saharan Africa, 13% are in Asia and the Pacific, and it's one of the fastest growing areas of Christians. 12% North America, and less than 1% in the Middle East and North Africa, which is where it started. Asia, along with Africa, are the fastest growing. It says that uh, Korea, in the last 100 years, went from having 0% Christian to about 40 to 50% Christian. China is headed in the same way. It's seen huge revival in recent years, and some predict that it will have the world's largest Christian population by 2030 with Chinese Protestants having grown 10% annually since 1979 to around 100 million people today. According to Pew Research Centre, the top 10 countries with the largest Christian population include the US, Brazil, Mexico, Russia, the Philippines, Nigeria, China, Congo, Germany and Ethiopia, everywhere. Revelation 7, 9, it says, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne 
The gospel is for every tongue, it's for every tribe, and it's for every nation to the end of the earth. Um, I've got here Laman Sane. He was a Gambian-born son of a Muslim chieftain. I think I've got that right. Uh, He was converted to Christianity from Islam and was a professor of history at Yale University. He discusses in his book in 2003, Whose Religion is Christianity? The Gospel Beyond the West. And he says how Christianity takes form and shape in societies that were previously not Christian. And how in these societies, Christianity was received and expressed through the cultures, the customs and the traditions of the people affected, without necessarily the European Enlightenment frame. When discussing the rise of Christianity in Africa, which he knew well of, from 1970 to 2000, from around 120 million to 350 million people, a time when it was expected to also shrink due to the Islamic religion, he discussed three factors that he thinks contributes to the growth. The first factor being that it was post-colonialism, as if to say that colonialism in itself may have been a stumbling block to Africans, receiving the Christian message. He would say that Christianity helped Africans become renewed Africans, not remade Europeans. The second factor is that Africans stepped forward in the lead, in the, to lead the expansion with young people, especially women, given a role in the church. And the third factor was that the Bible translation into African languages that encouraged Africans to view Christianity in a favourable light. You see, when people read the Bible for themselves, when they hear the gospel spoken in their own language, something can change on the inside and that there is power in the gospel. Another testimony from a different point in time, uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, someone that um, I personally enjoy his writing and his way of thinking. Um, It's actually amazing that we get to see any of his writings or any of his um, books because shortly after his death, he lived between 354 AD and 430 AD, so there's no printing presses back then. Um, But shortly after his death, there was uh, vandals that came through Hippo and effectively burnt the whole city down. And everything got burnt down except for his cathedral and his library. So it's amazing that it still is passed on um, to today. He was a converted sceptic. He's recognised as a saint in the Catholic Church, in the Eastern Christian Church and the Anglican Communion, on top of many Protestants, uh, sorry, on top of the many Protestants, especially Calvinists and Lutherans, who consider him to be one of the theological fathers of the Protestant Reformation due to his teachings on salvation and divine grace. It's really a great legacy um, from his multiple of writings. In his book, Confessions, he talks about his own conversion. And he talks about how the Lord released him from the fetters of lust which held him tightly and shackled from his, and shackled and from his slavery to the things of this world. He told that although knowing of its grip, he continued living his normal life and becoming more and more unsettled, started pouring out his heart to God. He started going to church whenever he wasn't working. He studied Paul's writings with the greatest attentions. He started to see his own wickedness and loathe it. But he still postponed the rejection of the world's joy, the ability to enjoy all the pleasures of the body at a mere nod of the head. He did not want God to cure him of the disease of lust, which he wanted to satisfy, not quell. He chased other religions, not because he thought them right, but because he preferred it to the Christian belief. As he drew closer to God, his inner self became a house divided against itself. His lower instinct 
which had taken firm hold of him, was stronger than the hire, which was untried. As he battled with himself, he was found himself under a, a fig tree, and he was weeping. And he heard the singing of a child nearby, saying over and over again, take it and read, take it and read. Stemming the tears, he stood up and decided to go back home and open the scriptures and read the first passage on which his eyes fell, hoping that this was a divine command. He opens one of Paul's letters and he read part of Romans 13, 13 to 14. It says, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries, rather arm yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetite. Not reading any more, he described a light of confidence flooded into his heart and all darkness of doubt was dispelled. So what is the gospel? You know, up until now, I've, I haven't really made it clear what it is. I've shown you the impact that it has on people around the world, on the Ethiopian that we read in Acts 8 and on St. Augustine. We see the movement of the gospel through the world. But I haven't actually explained it to you, which maybe for some hasn't been told to you before at all. And in the simplest of explanations, it is this, it is God loves you. You know, um, each week in kids' ministry for the last three weeks, we have been looking at love. We have been uh, teaching the kids about loving God, about loving others, about loving our enemies. And the framework for all of this, the reason we ought to love others, is that God so loved us first. The Bible verse that we've been using each week is 1 John 4.10, which says, and I should know it because it is our memory verse, here is what love is. It is not that we loved God. It is that he loved us and sent his son to give his life to pay for our sins. He goes on to say that God so loved us, therefore we ought to love one another. And really, there's so many verses in the Bible that point out this exact message. The whole Bible points towards God's love for us, that he pursues us despite all of us going astray. The eunuch, uh, he was quoted to be reading from Isaiah 53, verse 7. Um, the very, very verse before it, Isaiah 53, 6, says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Uh, one of my other favourite passages, and I've got a few favourite passages that I'll probably quote today, but one of my other favourite passages of Scripture that sums up God's love for us um, is in Ephesians 2. And, and saying, after saying we were dead in our trespasses and sins, uh, from verse 4 it says, But God, rich in his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, so that no one may boast. This substitutional sacrifice of Jesus, who took our place that we may have everlasting life in heaven. This is amazing grace. This is the good news of Jesus. And this is the gospel that Philip shared with the eunuch. When the Ethiopian heard the message, he was quick to convert. He was ready to leave the old way behind and be born again in Christ Jesus, as is shown through his baptism. 
God had won him over by the power or through the power of the gospel. We see that Christianity is not for those that think they are strong, they are healthy, that they do plenty of good things, those that think that they can earn salvation by doing enough good works that they may say, look what I've done, but for those willing to humble themselves, those that know they are sinners, know they have gone astray, so that they can point to Jesus and say, look at what he has done, he died so that I might live. The gospel is the power of God because it is from God. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit and it points us to Jesus. And it's not just a matter of reading it, because if it was anyone who reads or hears would become a Christian, then a lot of people would become Christians just from hearing it. But it's a matter of hearing and believing it, to have faith. We see the eunuch was reading the scriptures about Jesus. St. Augustine was studying writings of Paul about Jesus, but it wasn't until they let the word of Christ dwell in them richly that they received the Holy Spirit. And when you let the word of Christ dwell in you, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this uh, when you read, when we compare Colossians 3.16 and um, Galatians 5.18. And you can see um, Paul writing both of them, uses this word uh, of being filled, or sorry, I should say being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and letting the word of Christ dwell in you almost interchangeably. It says in Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ in you dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses being filled with the Holy Spirit and letting the word of Christ dwell in you interchangeably. The result being singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and giving thanks to God in everything. So let the word of Jesus in your life believe that God loves you, that Jesus died for your sins. So that's the gospel. Why do we get involved? You know, for us as Christians, why does God want us to be involved in the process of seeing someone else saved? Did anyone read this bit of scripture and go, why didn't the angel just appear to the eunuch? You know, he was well on his way, he was searching, he was looking. Instead, he appears to Philip and gets Philip to go over to the Ethiopian. And we know that sometimes this does happen, right? We know that sometimes, uh, and we hear it, uh, you know, Paul's conversion starts with an encounter with Jesus. Uh, Around the world, we hear of people having visions of Jesus and and being converted. Um, In Melbourne, uh, in a church that I went to in Melbourne, we had this person from Iran. He was uh, an asylum seeker that rocked up. Um, Took a while to sort of like get his story because he had very broken English. Um, But this was his story. He basically met Jesus, converted, and then had to flee because of persecution of Christians in Iran. So why does God want us to be involved in the process? Because you and I are part of God's sovereign plan for the salvation of someone else. And you may say, well, God doesn't need me, and you would be 100% right. As Brad said from the get-go, it's God who saves, and God is the main ingredient in a move of God. But God wants you to be involved so that you can share in His joy. 
And this is what we do as parents with our kids, right? You know, one of my current passions right now, and for anyone that has come over to my house, is woodwork. And um, I've just finished building a TV cabinet, and everybody that comes in, I will point out my TV cabinet. It is like my pride and joy right now. But uh, I also wanted my kids to be part of the process of building so they could share in the same joy that I get from making. So I try to drag them along to Bunnings to get supplies. And I got Sunny in the shed uh, to help me screw the doors together. Did I need her help? Absolutely not. Uh, If anything, it probably slowed me down and one of those doors is now broken, but it wasn't her fault. (laughs) It was my design. See, God wants us to also go to Bunnings with him. He also wants us to go into his workshop. He wants us to be part of the process to see someone else become saved by God. This frees us up from the result. This is about faithfulness to what he has called us to. God wants us to be involved so that he can share in his joy. Luke 15, 10 says, There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This joy shows up all over the place in Acts, wherever the gospel is preached. We saw it here with the, uh, with the Ethiopian, uh, skipping on in Acts 16. You know, a lot's happened between Acts 8 and Acts 16. Paul's been converted, the person that was persecuting Christians. Um, and now he finds himself in jail because of the fact that he's now preaching the gospel. Um, and there's this jailer that's just about to kill himself because the jail gates have been opened and all the prisoners' chains have been loosened while Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. He had assumed that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul, rather than fleeing, calls out to the jailer and says, don't harm yourself, we're all here. He then went on to speak the gospel, saying, believe in Jesus and you will be saved. And he and his whole household were baptised and he rejoiced along with his whole entire household that he had believed in God. The Ethiopian left rejoicing on conversion. Augustine tells of his own mother, who was already a Christian, when, uh, when Augustine, St. Augustine told uh, his mother that he'd become a Christian, her sadness was turned to rejoicing. She was jubilant and glorified God, for she was granted much more than she used to ask in her tearful prayers and plaintive lamentations. The jailer and his whole household rejoiced on conversion. And if I had a second point, it would be this. There is joy when people are saved. The first, when the gospel is spoken, people are saved. And the second is, there is joy when people are saved. And knowing that God wants us to share in his joy, next time when the Holy Spirit prompts us to share the gospel with our friends, let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Instead, let us be bold and courageous. Let us be looking for opportunities to share the gospel and speak just like Philip did. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And if they believe, if God saves them, let's rejoice. Paul would write in Romans 1, 16 to 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteous, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is not by works, this is by faith. So, as we finish the series in Acts and as the musicians come back on stage, I'd like to extend this opportunity for you. 
to accept the good news that God loves you. And he has immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. If you are here and not yet a Christian, know that God has been pursuing you. You didn't rock up here thinking this was McDonald's and sort of just sneak your way in, hoping there was fries to be served. You found yourself here because God has been pursuing you. You may be like the Ethiopian, you may be rich and well off, yet still searching, knowing there is something more to life and going to church to find out what that is. You may be like Augustine, resisting to fully commit for so long, studying the Bible, but not letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And if this is you, I would like to offer an opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus. And you can do that right now where you are. I would just encourage you that after the service, you come and you come and speak to Pastor Brad so that we can also baptize you and rejoice with you to declare that you are no longer, that you no longer want to live um, in the old way, trying to do it all on your own, but you want to live in the grace of Jesus. Augustine said when he finally let God in, he described it like a light of confidence came flooding in. The Holy Spirit came in and it changed his life forever. Ephesians 5.8 would say, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And for the rest of us who are Christians that have Jesus as our Saviour, continue to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And as you do, know that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit continues to work in each one of us who has asked him in and believe. He continues to draw us back to Jesus when we become Christians justified by His grace. The Holy Spirit continues to work in us through sanctification. He tells us what is wrong, what we need to repent of, but He wholly loves you, bearing no ill will as He points you back to Jesus, that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We repent and believe, we repent and believe, and this is the Holy Spirit working in us. John the Baptist would say in Luke 3.8, he would say that we bear fruits in keeping with repentance. We don't automatically love like Jesus, have joy like Jesus, or peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control like Jesus did when we first believe. But those that are led by the Holy Spirit will develop these as we humble ourselves before God. We repent and we fix our eyes to Jesus for what he has done for us. I want to finish by reading uh, my other favorite scripture, which I read all the time at Bible study, and that is uh, Hebrews 10. And Hebrews is a book that was written to um, the Jewish Christians that were sort of looking at going back to their own way. And he writes here in uh, Hebrews 10, verse 14, he goes, For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. See, he still tells us what is wrong. But then he adds, 
I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. For where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but enjoying, sorry, but encouraging one another all the more while you see the door, day drawing near. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for your word. Thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the gospel that you have entrusted to us as well. I thank you for those many people around the world that are, that are writing the gospel in different languages so that many, many more people will get to know who you are, God. I thank you for the missionaries that go out and uh, spread the gospel. I thank you for the people in this church that have told their friends and their neighbours about the gospel. Lord, we just continue to pray, Lord, that you will do a work in people's lives, that you will change lives. And we know that you will. We know that you are in this world. We thank you for the love that Jesus has for us. We thank you for the countless multitudes, Lord, that already know you and already are saved. We thank you, God, for the promises of your immeasurable riches, of your kindness and grace towards us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are good to us. We thank you that you will never let us down. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.